Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's up, babes? In along the wall, a puck to the left point, kept in by Orbit, down in front of shot, and they score! And it's Devontae Smith Pelly on a save at a left point! DSP save of the day! We're tied at three with 10 08 to go! How about Devontae? The Caps with life here in game five! Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I'm your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to be joined by Chris Watkins. How you doing, Chris? Uh, not too bad, man. Just looking forward to this uh, to this spring weather and, and you know, hopefully brighter days ahead. Yeah, yeah, brighter days ahead for sure. Uh, I, I know, you know, you're up in, well, are you, you're up in the Windy City now, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Decount uh, from the craziness of New York and traded it for the craziness of Chicago, so... <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, you're probably definitely dying to get some warmer weather with that lake effect and everything going on up there. But uh, you're back, back close to, to the Blackhawks and, and the Bulls, huh? Yeah, I, I feel like me yelling from afar wasn't getting the, the job done. <laughs> uh, when I was in closer proximity, they seemed to respond better. So uh, I figured, you know, if I if if Stan Bowman knew the threat of me being in the vicinity, I sort of <laughs> uh, compelled him to do the right thing in terms of team team and roster construction. You know, he must uh, been worth it. <laughs> he had to be getting comfortable. I mean, somehow became the GM of Team USA. It's like they didn't learn about what happened last time. You know, when you, someone who doesn't do a good job with roster constructions in charge of the team, and uh, you know, doubling down on Bowman. I, I guess. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a uh, a lifetime achievement award for a man who <laughs> has not achieved much in his lifetime. Uh, but um, I. I figured someone else had asked me, and I was like, "Well, Stan Bowman can't do the things that he's worst at, such as trading for his, for you know, players that were previously in the Blackhawks system, or <laughs> trading with the Florida Panthers, or signing you know older guys to horrible extensions. So, um, you know, it, it can't be any worse than his normal day to day handlings of his job. Yeah, it is it, interesting. I know when I when I saw he was the pick, I uh, kind of raised an eyebrow a little bit, but. You know, maybe there's something to be optimistic about. As you said, it's uh, some of his more ludicrous tendencies are are, are impossible in this position. <laughs> but I I don't know how much you've been watching the Cavs recently or, or keeping up on what's been going on with Jacob Rana. But given that he's a guy that you and I have talked about almost every single time we've yes. talked, um, yes. I want to get your take on him. He's <laughs> he's definitely you know watching him 
not been playing as well recently. Yeah. And, you know, the the interest, most interesting thing for me was when it came out that Laviolette essentially said, oh, the reason we're benching him isn't because of his recent play. It's because of, you know, kind of all the things we want him to be working on. And that part, you know, I took exception with because right. in my mind, he played really well to start the season. Right. And he's been struggling recently. Um, I kind of gave way too much background on that for a guy who I already know already knows it. But Chris, what are your kind of thoughts on Verona? Uh, he's in the lineup tonight when the Caps play Buffalo, and he and he did play the previous game as well. But he is certainly not looking like the same guy. Yeah, I mean it's uh, yeah. So a couple of things. So I'll try to I'll try to put it in a uh, sort of fifth grade essay format <laughs> with a statement, a uh, three bullet points, and a conclusion. Uh, so the first part is you know obviously we all know how great. Jacob Vrana is for anyone who's listened to our previous appearances with you on the podcast. Uh, you know, I think Jacob, uh, or is it, I actually know how to pronounce his name, so that's probably a good starting point. Is it, <laughs> is it Jacob? Is it Yakub? Jacob, Jacob Vrana, Jacob Vrana. You know, you hear different, different, uh, different names from other guys, to be honest. Um, but if you, I don't know how much you watch Caps Victory Celebrations, Joe Beninati calls him Jacob Vrana. So I'm going to stick with it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Brian, uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, when we initially started talking about him a few years ago, you know, I said he had the potential of, uh, the potential impacts of a first liner. Um, when we talked, when we started talking about him in 2017, uh, and that from a, like a per minute basis has been the case, uh, even as this, you know, minute totals have been jerked around a bit. Um, that has been the case where he's been a you know first liner or an elite second liner throughout his whole career, um, but unfortunately he doesn't impact in the ways that are easy, particularly for the Caps. Like the Caps are almost like throw the window out, throw the analytics book out, throw out you know Ryan Stimson's and, and Jack Hines, you know things about coaching because they just don't follow the normal maxims of what we do to build a successful team. And there's always a team like that, like the San Antonio Spurs and basketball notoriously like like that, where it's like everybody's shooting threes and we're just going to shoot a whole bunch of like mid range twos and win somehow. And you just associate it with the talent and the coach and all that stuff. And you say, you know, just throw out the old, you know, the playbook, this is just going to work for this team. And so the caps has always sort of uh, straddled that line of doing things that would not, you know, sort of fit the analytics friendly profile of what everybody else is doing. Uh, and I, th- I think the same thing for Jacob uh, Rana as well, like on another team, like, Carolina, you know, he's probably playing, you know, top line minutes in 19, 20 minutes a night or something like that, just because of the things he does um, that are hardest to see on the score sheet. You know, he's not scoring 45 goals a year. He's not, you know, putting up, you know, 60 uh, assists. He's not going to be a massive guy in your power play. So it's hard to, and then in his own defensive zone, he is not necessarily a shutdown guy. And so a lot of the back and forth, I have what sort of Caps fans about the decisions around Brown where it's like, well, yeah, well, of course he's not going to be playing with Nick Dow because Nick Dow is a shutdown center who can play, you know, shorthanded minutes. And of course they're going to have equal uh, time on ice because there's a clear usage for Nick Dow and a not clear usage for, uh, you know, Yaka Vrana. And I'm like, mm, sure, if you're very uh, tied to the thought process of having specialists like in, in a baseball game where I'm bringing in my left-handed curve, you know, sinker ball pitcher to get this one guy out and I'll take him out and do that. That sh- can work in theory, but I think oftentimes hockey coaches in particular overemphasize the importance of those specialists where 
you know, uh, I used to say this a lot about LeBron. The one thing I used to, you know, uh, in the LeBron versus Kobe debate, where it's like, who would you take, you know, in the last five minutes of the game? Would it be Kobe or LeBron? It's like, oh, yeah, Kobe, you know, he's made all these amazing shots. I'm like, yeah, but in theory, if I had LeBron on my team, we would be up by 10, and I wouldn't need him to make an amazing last-minute shot anyway. Yeah. And so I, I think it's the same thing with Jacob Bronner, where it's like, yes, you it's harder to know exactly what situation to use him in, but if you use him more often than enough, then – your team is going to do better. You know, it's like that seasoning. It's like paprika. Like, I don't know when exactly I need to use paprika, but every time I use paprika, everything just tastes better. And like, that's how I feel about Jacob Brown on the Capitol. So that that was, that's basically my, my 10 minute rant on that. I, I really do uh, like that analogy. He, um, he, he's an interesting player. Uh, hopefully he gets kind of into form here. Uh, you know, when we talk about Vrana, it's hard to kind of overlook how he's struggled in the playoffs since yeah. game five against Pittsburgh, the year of the cup run, he is, uh, got a, you know, I don't think he had any points in the, or no goals in the bubble last year. I don't think he had any goals in the playoffs against Carolina the year before. I mean, he's been, he's been cold and, you know, granted it's, it's a small sample, but it's hard not to think about it here heading into this year's playoffs where it looks like, you know, the capitals are going to make it, but with Vrana on a bit of a scoring drought now, you know, do you think it's important for the team to kind of get him producing again before then? You know, obviously it's great to have him play and he's your paprika, but at some point you still, you know, you got the dish needs some production. Yes, although I would counter and say that we look at uh, everybody's favorite, favorite capital uh, across the board. We're following the few Caps fans I do on Twitter. Uh, Tom Wilson, I mean, outside of that, outside of the cup run, you know, his production hasn't been all that stellar either. Uh, you know, he has 28 points in 77 like career uh, playoff games, and 15 of those 20, uh, 28 points came during the cup run. Uh, and then you know it's 13, you know 13 points in, in uh, what 56 other games. And so like, obviously for Tom Wilson, there's a thought process. He brings the physical elements of the game. You know, there's an intimidation factor. You need a more physical element in the playoffs. But I think that's you know sort of like like what we talked about where. You know, I know where Nick Dow comes to play. Well, Tom Wilson, even if he's not scoring, I know he's going to hit somebody. And therefore, I feel much better about his production, even if he's not putting up points on the score sheet. He's putting up hits on the other team, and that's just as important. And it's like, is it? And so I think, uh, you know, with Ronnie, you know, I definitely think, like, the playoff scoring piece is, uh, you know, less than ideal when you would want a guy that you expect to be a top contributor. At the end of the day, you know, while, you know, it's easy in the analytics communities to value shots and, uh, Corsi for possession and you know neutral zone entries and all that stuff like that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you need some some players on your team to put the the puck in the net yeah. or at least facilitate that happening. And someone <laughs> has to take that step up to do it. So to your point uh, of Rana not being able to sort of fill that role, obviously it brings his value down a bit. But the uh, but the issue is like he's also not getting paid like a, a guy like that to produce like that. So the even if he's not if he if he's not producing at that level, it's like okay, well, how is he being deployed? Maybe it was a bad matchup for him. Uh, maybe there's some other, you know, maybe it is just a run of bad luck. So I do think they do need to get him producing. But to me, that's icing on the cake. He's not the guy that's paid to produce. So that's you know, Kuz, uh, Kuznetsov and Ovechkin and Oshi and all that stuff. But if he can provide that, you know, play like a Carl Haglin for a Pittsburgh a few years ago or. Uh, you know, the way that Andrew Ladd just played for the Blackhawks or, or Andrew Shaw of uh, just playing, you know, playing a role and, and being the best in that role. 
Um, I think he can do that. I think the problem is Peter Laviolette does not know what that role is for Ron right now at the moment. No, that, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, um, you know, we've been talking before about kind of Rana and, and parallels between him and another former cat being Andre Burakovsky. And yeah. today I was talking to John press and um, we were, we were talking about whether we would trade Andre Burakovsky today for Jacob Rana one for <laughs> one. And, and I, and I think it's an interesting question because if you had asked me, you know, a year ago, I would have said no way. Right. Sure. And, and Burakovsky right now is having a very good season with Colorado. He had a very good season with Colorado last year, and he was incredibly productive in the playoffs last year as well for, for Colorado. And, uh, you know, the Caps don't have Barry Trotz anymore, and, and it looks like somehow mm-hmm. Jacob Rana has become the Andre Burakovsky for, for Peter yeah. Laviolette. So, you know, uh, wait, what, what are your kind of thoughts kind of on, just on that hypothetical thought question that we got today that, that JP went through and I went through today? Uh, I mean, yeah. So, when, and I know when, how much you value Burakovsky based upon our our mock off season five years yes, ago. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, <laughs> well, a, a three year, forty two million dollar contract. So I, I remember distinctly, <laughs> and I think it's the sort of same thing where you know I think they are different players, they serve different roles, um, but you can sort of. Uh, in the normal hockey sphere, you can sort of overlook those contributions because, you know, as we said, if they're not contributing on the score sheet, it's very hard for for a coach to identify exactly what that guy's doing well. Mm-hmm. He's not because ultimately we're creatures of uh, sort of the visual, and so if a coach sees a guy blocking shots, you know, diving in front of, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, two on one or something like that. You know, you know, going into the stands, you know, throwing down their gloves and doing a fight. Those are <laughs> things that stick in their memory. And, and as I admitted, like I, I was talking on another podcast earlier this week, and I was like, I can watch a basketball game for five minutes. Uh, you know, I can watch Mar- March Madness, not know anything about the players, but within five minutes, know exactly who the best player on the other team is. You know, sort of what scheme they run. I can just pick that up very quickly because it's a very, you know, it's a very fast-paced game, but it's also sort of start and stop basketball you know there's you know guys dribbling at the top of the key and then one or two guys is running around the other two guys are standing still and hockey that's never the case there's 10 guys running around it's just dots on the screen like some when my daughter was younger i would just play hockey in the background because it would just sort of confuse her and make her sleepy and then like it worked out great for me and so from a coaching standpoint not only are you thinking about tactics you know the next line x y and z but trying to hone in on one particular player for a given point of time is almost impossible so unless you see something happening uh, on the puck that involves that player is very difficult to see their contributions. And so for Burakovsky uh, and Rana, I would say, I would say for the caps in particular, it would, I would only consider trading for Burakovsky only because he's been put in a, in a situation to be successful. Yeah. And that unfortunately carries a lot of weight with coaches where it's like, Hey, a lot of other coaches like this guy. So therefore I should like him too. Uh, and it's sort of just a screening process that other coaches sort of outsource to somebody else and says like, well, you know, this guy, you know, we're acquiring him. He played 23 minutes a night. Does that mean he's good or not? No, but the, the other coach trusted him enough to say, hey, I'm going to give you a third of the minutes on the back end and, and figure it out from there. And so I think only in that situation where Burkowski has been shown to uh, subsist in particular circumstances um, and therefore it's easier. Right now, Peter Laviolette is like, there's 10 roles I can have Jacob Rana in, and I don't trust him in any of them. Whereas you trade for Burkowski, there's four roles I can put Burkowski in. I trust him in one or two of them. Therefore, I'm much more likely to lean on him 
uh, and use him in the playoffs versus Rana. If he has a bad start again, I'll probably sitting him, healthy scratching him, so on and so forth. So I don't think he's a better player, but I think he might be a better fit for the team. That's interesting. I mean, I think uh, they're both great players, and uh, it's crazy the Capitals were able to draft both of them, and they've both put together pretty solid careers. And uh, both have been very well known for their uh, per 60 rate production. Um, (laughs) It's, you know, it's really interesting to think about what you said about kind of eventually you do need someone to put the puck on the back of the net and, you know, eventually I'm going to ask you about trades and what you think the Capitals' biggest needs are. I mean, we already yeah. kind of touched on it just with that hypothetical. But um, real quick, I, w- I want to talk about the guy who's probably the best ever at putting the puck in the back of the net. Um, <laughs> you know, e- easy to qu- like easy to look at. Like, the numbers make sense. Like, goals are goals. Uh, you know, if you adjust for error already, Ovi probably already has the highest total ever. But right. kind of what, what are your thoughts on Ovechkin and, and just kind of um, – I, I know the – like some of the underlying numbers aren't necessarily great for him, but we, we've talked and you've already hinted about how the Capitals as a team have, have kind of continually outperformed those underlying numbers and Ovechkin's still kind of leading the way when it comes to uh, putting points on the board and, and kind of you know doing what it actually takes to win, which is score goals. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting because I think the closest parallel I'll have to Ovechkin is probably, um, you know, Kobe in his last couple of years. Um, and uh, I think one of the benefits of hockey versus basketball is, you know, when you have a great player like LeBron, like Kobe, like Michael Jordan, you know, when they're at their peak, when they're at their greatest, you can just give them the ball every single time, get out of the way, and they're going to make something happen. Uh, the problem is once those guys, and fortunately, like LeBron and Michael Jordan did not have this fall off, but Kobe did, uh, once those guys don't quite have it, uh, if the team around them isn't strong enough to sort of carry them through, then it looks really bad. And so yeah. Kobe thought he was still Kobe. He thought he can take 40 shots a game, but he couldn't get to the rim. He couldn't, you know, you know, shut down guys on the other end like he used to. He's taking these crazy shots. And they're still going in well enough. But uh, because his team was still built around him, the the overall team didn't have much success. And then he started to break down. Um, where, where I'll give uh, veterans a lot of credit is, you know, He's indestructible. <laughs> uh, the Russian machine never breaks. Uh, so uh, he's indestructible. So that's one, just like the availability uh, factor is always a, a key component. Um, and so I do think he will break the overall goal scoring record at, at some point in time just because he's been so reliable. Um, as far as the on-ice stuff, like I was just looking at his numbers again. And yeah, they're <laughs> they're getting even worse over time. Uh, you look even look at the power play, which, you know, still doing decently well. When you look at their power play map uh, on, on Micah's site versus everybody else, you just see the OV spot, just like a massive, you know, explosion <laughs> of shots taken from OV's office there. And it's like, okay, uh, you know, th- there's nothing wrong with it. The team's still doing very well. It has a good record. But that's also probably because of more of the surrounding talent than Ovechkin in particular. What I will say is the best part about Ovechkin, similar to what we said about Burakovsky, is you know, Peter Laviolette does not have to guess how to utilize Alexander Ovechkin. Like, he's not coming in and says, uh, you know, like a Dale Hunter, like a uh, yeah. Adam Oates, like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to turn him into a defensive stalwart. That is not going to happen, and it's even more so now. So now, from that standpoint, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to put this person in the best position to succeed, and, you know, I'll live with the consequences because he's such an established icon. As long as you do what I ask you to do in this particular role, then I mean, I, there's not much more to ask from you. But as far as like what he can do in the future, yeah, I definitely see him breaking the goal record. Um, I definitely see him. You know, he's probably technically around a second, you know, second line caliber, you know, winger at this point. But 
you know, just the fear factor that he provides to other teams um, sort of overemphasizes how good he is uh, a little bit. Sim- very similar to Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane's overall impacts are pretty poor, but the team scores goals when he's out there, and, and he always outproduces his expected goal numbers. It's always been the case with the Capitals as well, just across the board as a team. So I think Ovi, you know, can continue to do what he's doing as long as the team is supportive around him. But that's also why you need players like Jacob Rana to do all of the dirty work. So then Ovechkin can just focus on scoring goals um, and, and just utilize him in the, in the best spot possible. Yeah. I mean, um, we, we've been talking before about whether, you know, on, on this podcast, whether we would refer the Capitals win another cup or see Ovechkin um, <laughs> break the goal scoring record. And from an external point of view, Chris, you know, not being a Capitals yeah. fan, you know, if there was someone on the Blackhawks in a position like that, what do you think you'd prefer? I mean, to me, yeah, I mean, I think to me, you know, if I were able to follow somebody like that, uh, you know, to me, I think the goals going record would have more weight and resonance only because and because I, I would assume going in, I'm going in as a as a Ovechkin fan. Like yeah. and Ovechkin being tied to the Capitals makes it easier where I don't have to like you know, if he gets traded to the Florida Panthers or something like that, then there's a different question. But, <laughs> but you know, him retiring with the goals record and every time someone brings up the greatest players of all time, Ovechkin's name comes up, that to me is more important. It's very similar to the Michael Jordan versus LeBron debate. Yeah. And it's like, would I have liked Michael Jordan to come back in 1999 and not retire? And maybe the Bulls have lost that one. And then have won another one, and so he has seven, his record of seven and one instead of six and zero. Oh. Uh, I don't know because you know at the end of the day his legacy is pretty much set in that regard. But the fact that he retired six six and zero oh only adds to his legacy, and so him winning more championships doesn't really do that. And the and uh, and the risk that it comes with it is not quite as fruitful as it would be for him just to be remembered as the greatest of all time, no doubt. And so for me. You know, whenever someone brings up Gretzky, I can always, as a Cats fan, I can always bring up Ovechkin. I can't bring up the second cup. Like, he's not going to catch up to Crosby. He's not going to catch up to Gretzky in that regard. But he can be the best of the best in this one particular area, particularly when it was very hard to do this. And then I can always bring that up. So to me, as an objective fan of the sport and of Ovechkin and the way he plays the game, I would definitely say the goal scoring record. Yeah, all all this is assuming Ovechkin's going to play the rest of his career out with the Caps. Um, it certainly wouldn't mean as much to me if he then, if you know, he breaks the record in another jersey. Um, right. I mean, it, it, pretty sure there's no way he's not going to come back. I mean, he's he's been the face of the franchise now for uh, you know 17 years, I guess. 2004 yeah. is when they drafted him. We're in 2021 now. I mean, just just crazy. Um, you know, how a single individual has made such a profound impact on the hockey community uh, in the city. And, and I mean, I guess really to the to the league and game as a whole, being one of the most influential superstars uh, probably of all time in hockey. But Correct. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, just the Capitals as a whole, the roster. Um, yeah. You now, w- when you look at the Capitals, what do you think is lacking? And then kind of we can go into, is there any way for them to adjust uh, on those things or to get another piece over the next couple of days prior to the trade deadline? Yeah, I mean... I mean, so the Capitals is it's hard for them because like they're a team that in theory is not an obvious weakness. I mean, obviously you would want more, you know, so, is somebody you trust more and that probably is the biggest thing where, you know, you obviously have two young guys who have never, you know, gone down that path. Obviously the game plan was to have Henry Lundquist sort of be that bridge 
uh, between Braden Hope, the Braden Hopi era and the uh, Samsonov era. And so sort of not having that backstop was not the initial game plan for the season. And so, you know, yeah, that'd be great. But who who is that goalie out there, that sort of veteran goalie that, you know, is playing on a team that's not supporting them overall? Like, you know, I think of the Ben Bishop trade a few years ago um, when um, uh, Vasilevsky was coming up and Bishop was still on the Tampa Bay roster and they traded him to uh, Dallas. And Dallas had been struggling with the uh, Kudobin. and I forgot the other guy. Uh, 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 Kari Lettinen. Yeah. Um, uh, it wasn't Kudobin. It was Kari Lettinen and some other guy. Uh, 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 Pavlik. Uh, Andre Pavlik. Uh, they were just struggling back and forth with that goalie tandem when they were spending $12 million a year for that. And they traded for Ben Bush up and basically like locked down that position for the past three years. Um, like that goalie out there, it doesn't exist in, in my point of view. A guy that's on a, you know, uh, you know, a team that's out of the playoff race, but is still contributing because normally if you have a good goalie, you're not out of the playoff race. <laughs> so, um, and then if you're on a team like uh, Anaheim that has a good goalie, but uh, you know, just sucks. Like John Gibson is your only saving grace. I just don't see that guy out there. Um, so if you can't sort of affect the, um, I always say that save percent. Uh, you know, when we talk about PDO and the Caps are the the kings of the PDO. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we talk about when you pay for save percentage, uh, you normally uh, have to take it from the bucket of uh, shooting percentage. And the caps, the caps sort of have that in space. So if you can't get it from the goalie, then obviously the next place you will look is, you know, on the back end. Uh, and th- but then once again, the problem is like sort of how do you sort of make that happen? I mean, I think if you can package a couple of the players sort of at the bottom of the lineup, I, I just don't know who's a, who the caps can afford to give up that can get you like a Matias Ekholm without giving up multiple first round draft picks. And, you know, given the nature of where the team is going anyway, like, you know, you got Backstrom signed to a massive contract. Always going to probably going to come up on a similar contract of a similar term and value. Like, you're probably not planning on rebuilding in the next few years anyway. So, you know, you hope that those picks stay in the 20s. And so if it maybe means throwing a first and a conditional first on top of a a guy like Brandon Dillon or something like that, then sure, uh, give him a CSI call. But I think on the back end is really where, if they want to make some noise in the playoffs, I think that's where they they really need to invest. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, their their decor is, uh, you know, it, it's felt deep at times. I mean, they've still got kind of Jonas Siegenthaler, who's just not playing, yeah. and he's a guy who's looked great yeah. at times when he's been in the lineup. And, um, you know, Dillon is a guy that, for me, has been hard to watch you know he doesn't do a lot that makes me you know he throws the big hit you know he's physical he's kind of like brooks orpic in in some ways but i I know some of his underlying numbers aren't bad but god sometimes watching him just hurts man like it's just painful yeah i mean i mean i think i feel like that was the issue in in san jose too um and that's the i mean that's the hard part when it comes to evaluated defenseman because it's like when you try to look and evaluate when you try to look and see like as i said who is the best player on the ice at that point in time you know this is the reason why sort of seth jones the seth jones analytics versus eye test debate is always so difficult because if you watch seth jones you look at his time on ice numbers you look at the things he does and you know i've gone to you know blue Blue jackets games well i've been impressed by how he plays but i was like when you actually look at the numbers like he's not elite at anything but he's going to get paid like he's one of the top 10 defensemen in the league. And I can see why. Like, if you're just looking at him and just like, oh, yeah, like, 
no, this guy definitely has to be putting up like 60 points a year um, and shutting down everybody. He's like, look how he hits. Look how he skates. Look at the passes he makes. But you don't see the sort of more subtle stuff that uh, undercuts all the good work that he's doing visually and all that stuff. And I think, uh, you know, a guy like Dylan sort of falls into that. Siegenthaler sounds like, uh, you know, the, the debate around Christian Juice a few years ago. Where it's like, oh, yeah, Christian Juice, you know, definitely needs more playing time. He, you know, I was advocating for Madison Bowie to get more playing time uh, at, this, at the same time. Uh, I think the biggest issue for the Caps and, and where a lot of teams sort of may mess up and where I give a lot of credit to the Avalanche, for example, is that, like, the selection of defensemen is so haphazard and so random that I don't really see the theory behind how their def- defensive core is set up. Like when you look at Colorado and, and when I look at my advanced stats, you know, last year and, and bearing out this year, they don't have any bad skaters on the back end, you know? And so at the very least 99% of the time, if a puck goes in, they can get it out with control and get it to their very dangerous forwards. And now you're talking about a 60, you know, 60%, you know, course four because they're limiting opponent shots and then getting it to their dangerous forwards. And then their forwards are sort of dominating and keeping the, the puck in their, in, in their zone. And, and you just sort of have this back and forth thing. And I have no idea what the caps theory on defense is like, obviously John Carlson, a lot of the offense is going to go through him, but then what, like what, it, <laughs> how, how does Peter lobby let know in game seven, you know, against the Bruins or whatever that, Oh, I need this this parent to do this or this parent to do that. I don't know what that is, and so my my thought process would be I would actually consolidate a couple of those guys and maybe not even see at home. But I would try to look towards a trying to think off the top of my head a, a guy that might be available. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know either. I mean, I, I think from a gold pretending perspective, going back to what you said earlier about how they kind of might be looking for one of those guys, that. Um their most interesting possible acquisition is Henrik Lundqvist. Is him coming back? Yes, I, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that, that would certainly be very interesting. Um, well, we, but I guess the question on that was, like, would you trust them with so many months off recovering from, you know, ser- serious medical condition to sort of throw him back into the fire and sort uh, of see how he does it? And, and, and that may be the case. I, I, I would just worry about what the, uh, what the ramifications of that, if he struggles, like, do you is he on a short leash or do you trust the young guys enough to say like, Hey, uh, you know, Henrik is coming in. We trust him in this, but game two, if we're down three zero, you know, get ready uh, and go out there. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, Sam Sonov has had, excuse me, uh, flashes of brilliance, but he right. got ran by TJ Oshie in a game, a couple, uh, I guess about a week and a half ago against the Islanders. And is just, in, in my opinion, has not looked as great since, um, you know, TJ Oshie knocked into his head. He, uh, Samsonov had to come out. Concussion protocol. They actually put him back in that game, but he has not looked uh, as good or, or fresh in my mind. So it, it's certainly going to be interesting. Both Caps goalies have had stretches where they've looked pretty good. Um, Goaltending is just going to be it's going to be interesting for for the Caps. Um, you know, it'd be nice to have Philip Grubauer, but obviously <laughs> he's doing good things out in Colorado, and uh, you know, w- wish him nothing so- but the best. If he's not playing the so games. How about, how about how about this quickly? I mean, would you consider Taylor Hall? Because I've not heard the Caps. Uh, I mean, I, I would love if the Capitals could do that, but I mean, their cap space is so is, is so bad, right? The Caps don't have a lot of room to get anybody um, without giving up a lot. And as you said, I mean, who's the guy you'd have to get rid of to get Hall? Is it you know, is it Kuznetsov? Uh, it, would you have to find a way to be able to trade him? 
Well, yeah, I mean, so obviously you would. So to me, in that situation, and this is where like it goes back and forth into the debate. Um, and obviously our a good friend, uh, uh Prasanth would would have his own thoughts on this. To me, this is where you you try to maximize your goal is to try to maximize your chances of winning the cup. Like, yeah, the first round pick that you get this year is not likely going to be on the next Caps contender because yeah. that is going to be Postal Veskin when they, that person contributing, and so therefore you're not too worried about the opportunity cost of giving that up. And to be honest, the same thing with next year. And so to me, it, it, that sort of situation is like, hey, can I package a Connor Sherry, not a Connor Sherry, uh, sorry, Carl Haglin, or, you know, Lars Eller, I think is still a contributor, but, you know, can I package one or two of these guys, um, get Buffalo to retain, uh, you know, to retain half the salary. Yeah. But then I throw in one or two picks in there because right now they're struggling to get a single first. And I could throw in two firsts in there because I'm that committed to winning. I mean, obviously, like, the question is, is that the most you can get for that package? Like, you throw out two firsts there to the general market of all these potential sellers. And I'm sure you can actually probably get something more, a guy with a little bit more term than than Taylor Hall. But he may be the best player you can get right now for that. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, I mean, like, yes, if, you know, that guy turns into, I'm trying to remember another <laughs> great 27th pick in the draft or whatever in the past few years. Mike Green. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, if, but how many how many of those guys turned to Trent Frederick or whatever? And so at the end yeah, of the exactly. day, you know, to, to, me, to me, that's why I would say, like, teams should be a little bit more aggressive when they're closest to the peak and, and think that they can get over the hump and a little bit less aggressive or more willing to sort of uh, sell all the pieces and sort of go down to the bottom. But a lot of teams are just like, yeah, well, we're happy with what we have. And, you know, that's why I give credit to potentially what Toronto's doing. You know, a lot of people are saying, like, oh, Toronto's like, you know, they have a 70% points percentage. They're killing it. I'm like, I still don't feel confident in the construction of the team when they face a team that's not, you know, in the North Division. You know, when they go out to Tampa and Florida, uh, not Florida, but Colorado, Vegas, like, when they face them, like, will they feel comfortable going head-to-head against those talented teams as well? I think the answer is no, and that's probably the correct thought because you don't want to get to that situation and bring a knife to a gunfight. And so I think, like, for the Cavs, it's the same thing. Like, what else are you going to do with those picks? What else are you going to do with that space? You're not going to do anything. So you might as well just go all in for it now. And if it doesn't work out, great. It's cool. You can still, like, bank on OV's goal chase. But I would say, like, that type of trade, it's not necessarily an exact need. But to me, a forward is always more impactful than a defenseman anyway. And defenseman prices at the trade deadline are completely out of whack. So I think that's probably where they need to go. I, I think it'd be great if the Caps could land Hall. I mean, Haglin, uh, you know, Ponick's an interesting guy because the Capitals actually put him down onto the taxi squad. So that's, uh, he, you know, he cleared waivers. And he's an interesting guy because he's um, all about the underlying numbers. I mean, he can't, what? he's not producing at all uh, <laughs> and really has not been very productive since he came to Washington. But uh, man, oh man, if, you know, talking about his underlying stats might get you hot and bothered. He's, he's definitely. The guy doing well, uh, at least from those metrics. But, but Chris, you know, I, I know there's so much to talk about, and uh, we're, we're, we're kind of – we've been going for 35 minutes. But I, yeah. I want to touch on something that you and I have talked about. We actually talked about after our first podcast this season, which I found really interesting, and, and, and I hope our listeners will as well, as well. And we were just kind of talking about how, how I had just watched kind of The Last Dance, the, the, 30, yeah. the 30 for 30 production about uh, – the Chicago Bulls and and I asked you if there was a hockey version of that <laughs> what team or, or what do you think it would be about 
you know, and I mean, maybe it's changed since we talked about it then, but I thought our listeners might find kind of what you had to say about it pretty interesting. Uh, there was a hockey one. I mean, I mean, as I said, yeah, I mean, the, the caps would be pretty interesting, obviously, like with the, you know, the international flavor that uh, Ovechkin brings to the table. I mean, it, it basically just to sort of set the stage, like, the, the reason why The Last Dance was successful and worked, and I remember reading about it as a kid and as it was happening, is you had a couple things going on. You had, uh, you know, one of the best teams of all time that just won five five of the past seven championships. Uh, you had the best player of all time, uh, and that had been the case for several years at that point in time. Uh, you had a second star that was very angry about his contract situation, Scotty Pippen. Um, you had a complete wild card that would... You know, not show up to practice one day and be on a, a WCW pay-per-view wrestling event the next day. Um, and then you had a coach who was like in clear uh, uh, contention with the front office and about who should get credit about all the success that they were having. Um, but also, but also could coalesce all these different personalities together. Uh, I think the caps, the 2018 caps, definitely you know hit some of those. You know, Vashkin can be considered the Michael Jordan of that. You know, they definitely have some personalities whose nuts off could be considered, I guess, the the Dennis Rodman, where you don't know what you're getting from him. And again, point of night, whatever. You got Barry Trotz, who's, you know, not necessarily quite the personality that Phil Jackson was, but brings a certain element to it. Um, And his contract situation sort of hanging over over the head of the team uh, sort of plays into it. Uh, And then, obviously, the difference for the Cavs is the sort of repeated playoff failures. And uh, Sean McIndoe had probably one of my favorite hockey articles of all time. Ball times the Caps flew three one and three two series leads throughout their franchise history. Like that to me uh was there. Uh and so and so yeah, I think it's really compelling. The the issue is like sort of who's the bad guy, who's the villain, you know, probably Sidney Crosby and uh the, the penguins and all that stuff like that. So I can definitely see that playing out. Um the uh, the only other team I would probably say with that level of drama slash success is probably the twenty thirteen 14 Sharks, uh, that team uh, that sort of blew the 3-0 lead to uh, to the Kings that year. And you had sort of Joe Thornton and Doug Wilson uh, sniping in the background of sort of what happened to that team. Uh, but unfortunately, they don't have the quota. So as like a director, I'm like, I don't know what the end of the story is because I don't think they have the <laughs> uh, Well, I do think that the Caps, they they do bring all those elements to the table um, in a way that I don't think any other team in hot. I mean, this is the always the discredited against Sidney Crosby and uh, Connor McDavid is they're boring they're not interesting and the caps you know you saw the post celebration that definitely was not the case so I think yeah it'd be a very interesting sort of uh uh, uh documentary uh if they had the footage on it uh, I, with ESPN now having the rights for hockey you know the time is right for you to get yeah. in there and pitch it man I mean they have a lot of footage from those uh that cup run and you know they they plenty got plenty of footage of Ovechkin on the bench after all those heartbreaking losses as well because I know I've seen him about a million times and I'm sure they could just keep flashing them back on the screen to remind everybody just how shitty it was for so many years uh, being a Caps fan. But it was uh, yeah. I mean I, I think I, I think the important part of that is just to show the growth and progression and just sort yeah. of like you know what what was different it, for this team and other teams. And to be honest, the difference was Brayton Hopey going on a hot streak, but. Uh, <laughs> But to be fair, they should have won the year before, and it was like the craziest five-on-five like differential ever. Uh, uh, I think me and Corey Snyder like went through that series and just talked about how the Caps should have won in every essence of the word and just didn't. 
um, and that could have broken them, but it didn't. So yeah, so I think if they can sort of sort of have the two piece with that leading up to that championship, like that's to me, yeah, will be ratings goal relative to hockey. I mean, yeah, relative to hockey, you know, different different ballpark, <laughs> but they, uh, you know, watching. I mean, it's great. You have the you can even have you know they had the loss to Montreal right in 2010. They went yes. the wrong way. They they kind of gave up on their vision um, not long after about a year and a half right. later and but then when after they lost to Pittsburgh in a series that you're right they, they, they really should have won they were the better team uh, almost that entire series in 2017 and uh, and lost but then they kind of came back the next year they put together a uh, shaky regular season but um, man oh man they were a different team come playoff time uh, Chris you know I know you do a lot of work preparing for these podcasts, a lot more than a lot of other people. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on that I didn't ask you about? I don't want to leave you high and dry. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think for the Caps, and I'm trying to put together a series uh, quickly in the very near future, I think for the Caps, uh, there's a lot of interesting decisions that they can make where they're trying to straddle a couple of different generations at once, trying to be still a contender, but also respecting the legacy of Ovi and, and, and the, the greatest run of the team. Um, there's a lot of different ways they can go about it, and they actually do have a lot more flexibility than most contenders uh, do in this situation. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know if they have the appetite for it, and I think they're more content just to see it out. So, um, but yeah, maybe you and I can chat offline and sort of maybe put something together around that. But yeah, I mean, I think... It's an interesting team in transition. You know, they're always going to be – Lava Ledge is always going to suck the fun out of it, but you can't <laughs> sort of hold a uh, down down uh, for too long. So, yeah, so I think, you know, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays in the playoffs and what the narrative will be. Um, definitely come playoff time around, uh, especially after last year. So we'll see if they're considered sort of old and washed up or it's like, hey, there's still a little bit of spark left. But I think this offseason will be really, really impactful for, for them for the long term. Yeah, I mean, listen – as long as Ovechkin's playing and he's got a shot at that goal record, I think uh, you'll have a lot of Caps fans that are that are still happy, no matter what kind of the product on the ice is doing. Like as long as Ovechkin's still able to get 30, 40 goals a season, right. uh, you know people will be able to hang on, uh, you know, through the tough times, the lean times, and um, you know the Capitals have a very weak prospect pool. They don't have a lot coming up. Um, that's going to really move the needle. I mean, Connor McMichael's kind of the uh, the right. golden gem for the team right now. And uh, Lapierre. Yeah, that's true. He's That's another interesting guy, right? They picked him with all the injury issues, and he's uh, he's he actually could end up being a guy that uh, fell just because of injuries and ended up really right. being a higher-level producer than his draft position would indicate. Certainly, his when he was healthy, his point production was high enough to warrant a, a much higher draft pick. Right, and, and that's the one thing I've always respected about the Caps, and, and obviously the OB connection has done it, but they've always bet on talent. This is how you get Kuznetsov, you know, obviously uh, lower-round, first-round picks, but Kuznetsov being one of those, you get a Jacob yep. Rana. They've always bet on talent, you know, uh, regardless of red flags, signability issues, X, Y, and Z, and so I think that's always done the franchise very well, and so, yeah, and, and he, to me, he just has the best name in hockey. Like, so uh, <laughs> I just want him to succeed off of that. Yeah, I mean, the Capitals have done a great job um, for a team that I mean, Verona was their th- was a thirteenth overall pick, and he was their highest pick they've had uh, since right. Ovechkin, I guess, or since Ovechkin era. Sorry, since they started making the playoffs, because um, they were getting you know Carl Alsner was like fourth back in the day, and right. uh, God, I, I don't know if they he was probably their highest pick. 
But that's besides the point. I mean, they, 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 they've they had to pick pretty late. I mean, they've gotten Kuznetsov, Burakovsky, uh, Marcus Johansson. I mean, lots of these guys that have gone on to have very solid NHL careers um, have come from later first-round picks, and the Capitals tend to hit on them more than a lot of other teams. So, wow. uh, granted, you know, it might not be sustainable, but for now it looks like they at least know how to pick in that first round. So, Chris, why don't you tell our listeners um, where they can follow you, where they can read your work, um, you know, get your wonderful takes on, on, on all things interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, at, uh, yellow underscore pinato, uh, or DJ bodega cat. Um, <laughs> I, uh, as is, as is the want of all hockey grass contributors, uh, I, I'm planning on doing something. We'll see if it actually gets done. Um, but particularly, uh, around the Buffalo Sabres, uh, and, and, and that SASAC franchise. So we, we shall see if it gets done in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then other than that, yeah, just, uh, sharing, yelling into the void that is Twitter, uh, as much as possible. Well, th- thanks for coming on, Chris. I really appreciate it. Uh, Greg's out this week in Denmark and, uh, you know, you're, 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 you coming on is, uh, made, made it much better week, much better show. So appreciate it. <laughs> no, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I hope all of our listeners will go and give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. Um, go tell John Press that you really appreciate his new intro, which I will hopefully splice correctly into this episode. It's been a long time since I've had to do the editing myself. Um, so if this podcast has any editing issues, just blame Greg for being in Denmark. Thanks again for listening. Yeah. <laughs>